This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein, the show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Thank you, voiceover legend Eric Harthen, uh, someone who's getting a lot of work with his Donald Trump impersonations on shows everywhere. <laughs> that is Eric Harthen, once again, the, the great voice. Google it, YouTube him, Eric Harthen, H-A-R-T-H-E-N. You'll be blown away. The man is uh, one of the most gifted voiceover talents in the world. Thanks also, Juan Velasquez. Thanks, dude, for uh, producing the show, Premiere Networks, and Executive Brian. If you are new to Possibility Politics, this is the show for people who are fans of the human experience. And they love how it's expressed in political, social, moral discovery and want to, frankly, understand what's really going on behind all this you know, shocking behavior, the venomous vitriol, the lying, the cheating, the stealing. So the idea of this show is to see the forest from the trees, the, the growth among the conflict, the awakening and all this reckoning. It's about perspective, really your perspective, mine, obviously, but yours too. Uh, I try to pose questions and stuff and poke at you to figure out your perspective because that is the point of anything you listen to, right? It's all about you. It's always about you. Everything's about us, right? We are our own favorite subjects. There was no one's going to be as important to us as we are. <laughs> anyway, my deal is that I love everybody and everything all the time, plus or minus 3%. I love people, all people, even the sucky ones. And it didn't happen accidentally, nor was I raised by a pack of inspirational speakers. It was, a, it was a deliberate effort over time. Countless decisions to choose light over darkness, kindness over rightness, love over fear, inspiration over desperation. And it worked. Um, and by worked, I mean I never stopped working at it. <laughs> but I will say that you, and you probably already know this, that it, it gets easier and easier as you do it, the more you focus on the truth of who you are. The, you probably know also that there is no substitute for the clarity with which you see the world when you open your lens, your consciousness to the full aperture of your truth, which is the lens of love or forgiveness or possibility or inspiration, which is, which is why this show is called Possibility Politics. So I'm not looking to judge one side or pick a side. Uh, or give you a revenge fix like some shows do, or play the blame game, or vindicate your rightness so you can throw shade on your enemies. That's not what this is. Uh, what I'm trying to do is look at this great experiment called America and try, uh, no, actually I would say endeavor, endeavor to see our greatness under the turmoil, our, our grace under chaos, and hopefully recognize that we are in the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological, economic, whatever, <laughs> renaissance in the history of mankind. You know, Mr. Rogers said, or I was quoting his mom, but he said, in times of tragedy, look for the helpers. They're always there. More everywhere, in fact, I would say, than even just there. So this show, along with my speaking, my daily belief game, try it if you want. It's also on this, uh, probably on this link where you got this, my seminaring, workshopping, whatever. This is an extension of my practice and my purpose, which is to see meaning and truth and ease and excitement in my life and in my world so that I may be a part of the solution as well as living a fulfilled life. And I love politics in particular because it is the rough, ragged edge where our victimhood collides. And uh, I like a challenge. This Politics is the best challenge, right? And uh, as a business, I work with individuals, groups, and organizations to cultivate, sustain, and accelerate and become inspiration in action. That's enough plugging. That's my commercial, jeffs-world.com. Last plug, jeffs.world.com. So politics. 
Let's look at our moment in history right now and where we are with it. Uh, The first question is, if you are part of that percent of the nation that is thrilled with what the president and his party are doing, or, or maybe you're just tired of your opponents constantly trying to derail the agenda of your president and his party. But either way, my question to you is this. Are you willing to listen to perspectives that might be new to you and would require some reflection? The views that are not, you know, typically shared on your favorite argument channel, your trusted cable news network or or online news source, you know, not just, you know, what the other side is saying, but what are you accepting as truth and what are you dismissing as insignificant? Uh, Not how they're expressing it, but the substance of the circumstances and more importantly, the intentions. Are you willing to consider what the opposition is saying about your president and your party, about your tribe? And listen to what I just said. You're assuming I was talking about the the Trump conservative crowd. But if you back up that track and listen again, you can hear that I just said over again uh, as if I were talking about Obama and the liberal crowd. It's the same thing. It's are you, uh, you know, excited about your president and pissed off that the dissenters are slowing you down? And are you willing to consider the perspective of people from the other tribe or dissenters within your own tribe? Do you want the facts Uh, More specifically, do you want the facts if they hinder the narrative you'd prefer? (laughs) Do you not want those facts? If not, hey, hey, if you'd like your bubble uh, filled with only facts and news that supports your tribe while, you know, also consuming stories about your enemies, which support your knowing that they are all bad. If you just want news about how good you are and how bad they are and how what nefarious lying hypocrites they are. Hey, help yourself. Uh, You'll get what you look for. As Rumi, the Rumi quote says, what you are seeking is also seeking you. That will be your worldview. So please enjoy it. If you're going to get in that bubble, enjoy it. If you can live a perspective bubble that makes you, you know, fulfilled, inspired, loving, lovable, and loved, then giddy up, man. But if you're just feeling more persecuted or damaged or endangered by the unforgivable behavior of your enemies, you might want to consider forgiveness. Whoa, what? A lot of books on that. I can think of a few extremely significant books that are a lot about forgiveness. Oh, Bible. Are you, so are you in? Are you willing? Are you willing? Democrats, Republicans, independent militarians? Um, if you are, here we go. As Matt Damon would say in Goodwill Hunting, uh, let the healing begin. Uh, rehab is second, uh, but first we're going to rip off the Band-Aid. And, and actually, uh, we're going to do that when we uh, uh, come back in a second, because I want to just poke at it. I think it's I think it's time that we uh, kind of said what really is the pain <laughs> if you're a trumper, what's really the pain if you're uh, we're a Hillary or a burner and uh, and how that precedes you into the uh, news of today. And uh, we'll talk about the other stuff in the news, the uh, the uh, stuff that's going on in Fox News that isn't going on elsewhere and the stuff that's going elsewhere that isn't going on in Fox News. All that when we return to possibility politics. This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Uh, this is where we feelize our way to a saner future, hopefully, if all goes well. And also to uh, occasionally pull off the Band-Aid. You know, if the, if the healing is going to begin and we want to actually address uh, what our attachments are and what our victimhood might be and how we're seeing the other side or our own side, uh, whatever that is, <laughs> we're going to get to the rehab part. That's second. But first, we're going to rip off the Band-Aid, okay? So here's a perspective you you might not share, especially if you heard my setup there, but be brave and listen. <laughs> Brace yourself, Band-Aid rip for the Donald Trump people. Donald Trump is guilty 
of multiple character failings that will end his presidency in disgrace. That is, I, I, that is true. I am, I'm telling you this because I love you. <laughs> Not because I want to be right or wrong. I keep I, I, bumping into this as I look at Facebook pages and, and this social media of, of Trump supporters and my friends that are Trump supporters who I love dearly. And uh, they're not necessarily recognizing this, that Trump is guilty of multiple character failings that will end his presidency in disgrace. How particularly? You know, we're going to find out. That's the great drama of watching this reality show called Politics. But I want to, and you're like, now you're pissed off at me, right? Now I know you're angry at me, but listen for a minute. Bear with me. Be brave, okay? Of all the reasons you voted for, and probably reasons you still support Donald Trump, for the mass, you know, for the vast majority of your reasons, I enthusiastically share your hopes. I, you know, I do not find kindness or forgiveness or love in the way he expressed what he promised on the campaign trail, his tone, but I see tremendous and I saw tremendous kindness and love in much of the substance, like jobs through infrastructure. Like that's very decent. Shaking up the government by being unconventional. I see value in that. To create more opportunity for the poor and middle class. He promised that. I love it. More pride for our nation and our citizens. Giddy up. Uh, feeding the poor and better wages, right? Healing the sick with guaranteed health care. This is what, uh, those are the exact words, but that is what uh, the inspiration that came out of Donald Trump's promises. He promised these things, and I applauded those intentions and still do. And every time he brings them up, I cheer <laughs> and pray that his goldfish attention span will stay focused long enough to gain momentum for those things in Congress. Not a lot of that's happened yet, but I applaud and I'm a everlasting hoper. But the perspective remains that you might also want to consider what is also true, again, that in addition to that inspiring message which made you vote for him and support him, Donald Trump is still guilty of multiple character failings that will end his presidency in disgrace. Both things can be true. And, and frankly, look, I'm, 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 I'm not seeing kindness or forgiveness or love in building walls and excluding undesirables. Maybe you find a way to craft that in your mind to make it seem like love. Okay. Protecting your family. Well, I, you say, well, I'm protecting my family from all these terrible people coming over the border. Well, that's fear. That's not love. That's fear. Uh, so I don't see the kindness in those initiatives. I mean, sometimes you react in fear, and that's the debate, and we can, we can have that debate. But uh, my point is, is I want to see there's an inspiring part, and then there's a character-failing part. But, but if you're a Trumper, please join me in praying that Donald Trump can stay on task and move along the good things he inspired us with on the campaign trail. But I can hear you say it. But Hillary would have been way worse, right? No Hillary. Hillary would have been terrible. Okay, now I'm going to tear off the Band-Aid with the Hillary voters, okay? And do the same thing you just, <laughs> so to speak, heard from, the, from about your guy. And Trumpers, you know, try not to get too deep in schadenfreude or vindication or smugness as I offer this opposing perspective to the Hillary supporters. And Hillary supporters, bear with me. Be brave. Stay with this. Because the question is always, well, what about Hillary? What about Hillary? You know, Donald Trump did this, but what about Hillary? Okay, well, guess what? Her character and judgment failings ended her presidential run in failure and with all the victimhood that she was expecting. You know, she, she got three million more votes and she still lost because uh, of, you know, whatever. List your, list your list of why, right? Comey, the circumstances, the Russians, etc. But she manifested. The result ultimately lies in the candidate uh, because they are the ones manifesting this experience. Karma, comeuppance, and that's for both Trump and Hillary, obviously, and Bernie. Karma, comeuppance, the aggregate of, of, of her choices and beliefs, what she created uh, without 
is, you know, that what she created in her world is based on what she thinks, feels, and perceives and creates within. She received an experience that matched her consciousness. And I know you're saying, ah, she's a victim, she's a victim, she's a victim. Well, okay. (laughs) That's something you want to look at in the same way that Trumpers want to say, he's a victim, he's a victim, he's a victim, he's constantly persecuted. It's like, wait a minute. You've got to be focused on the inspiring part and recognize and be honest about the character failings that also exist. And, you know, you you figured it out and what you want to do and how, whether you want to support him, how you want to support him. So, and the same thing, that, you know, President Trump, a lifetime of character failings are creating the result he's been denying for his whole life. <laughs> this kind of uh, reckon, everyone waking up and saying, wow, you're kind of a fraud, man, you know, and that sucks. And I didn't want him to be a fraud. I was, you know, I supported the other candidate. I voted for Hillary because I thought that that was going to be a, a saner path, even though she had failings, <laughs> by far a saner path. But when he was elected, hey, I'm in. Infrastructure, let's go. Healthcare for everyone, let's go. Let's find those common goods that uh, Donald Trump shook up and drained the swamp to get, to take care of, right? Get money out of politics, drain that swamp. Turns out he did the opposite. He put money in politics. So, we're trying to still nudge him along, right? And that's, <laughs> if he can be nudged. We had uh, Dr. Romani Darvasala on, the uh, famous psychologist, saying that you, you can't do anything with a narcissist. But I'm weirdly hopeful that, <laughs> that if either he learns or we learn it around him, which is what is happening. That is the cool thing about it. Um, and, and again, I don't mean to bash Hillary because on the same side, here's the, here's the parallel. I was inspired by the declared intentions of the Hillary campaign, right? Yes. And for many of the same things Trump promised, like jobs through infrastructure, shaking up government by instead of being unconventional, but by having a female president, right? That's a very, that same thing to create more opportunity for poor and middle class, more pride for our nation and its its citizens, a different little expression of pride for nation and citizens than Donald Trump's crowd did. But it's the heart is in a similar place. Feeding the poor and better wages. Healing the sick with guaranteed health care. Does that all sound familiar? That's what Trump ran on. That's what Hillary ran on. And, 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 and what's crazy about this and exciting and fun and thrilling, because it's a big reality show. We'll be fine. <laughs> this is both an American Greek tragedy for the Clintons and the Trumps as well as an American renaissance of unity among the people. You know, as Obama and a million other presidents have said in one form or another, there haven't been a million presidents, as probably all 44 presidents that preceded this one have said, I believe there is more that unites us than divides us. And I'm hoping that you see that I've just kind of made that point. The Hillary folks and the Trump folks are, are we're supporting a lot of the same things. And that means that's what people want. And regardless of the personalities and the narcissism of the of those that are in charge, we are not going to sit down and let those things not be important to us anymore. Like, ah, you know, give it up. We'll just let uh, we'll just forget everything that's important to us, like wages and survival and health, uh, you know, and, and life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Ah, we'll skip it. So that's not going to happen. So <laughs> this is the beautiful part of what we're going through. And I'm, I hope you're enjoying it a little bit. And I hope you're seeing the parallels. So as we move on to uh, another topic, uh, the idea that this, this Rob Porter thing. Okay. Rob Porter is a White House staffer. He's the first secretary. Gosh, I'm turning around. Not first secretary. That sounds like he's a, but anyways, the second, one of the head secretaries. Pardon me for not knowing the title. But the more, more, more important thing is, 
His job is to decide what gets put in front of the president. He's kind of handing the papers. And for a president who doesn't read past page one or two, uh, that's pretty significant because what Rob puts on the front page, it's one thing if you aggregate a bunch of information like previous presidents and you set it down and you hope they kind of go through it all and you're just covering it all. But when you're in a position like Rob Porter was, where you could decide, you're handing it to the president and you're deciding who the, what the first sheet says, I mean, with John Kelly, who he works with extremely closely, and that's why John Kelly said such good things about him. Um, it turns out, yeah, he's got a problem with uh, beating his wives. Uh, <laughs> so did Steve Bannon, you may recall. In August of 2015, we discovered, 2016, we discovered before the election that Steve Bannon had a history of abuse and it was adjudicated and the police were called and all that good stuff and there's records of it and, and that was okay. You could keep him in the White House. Uh, but this time it's not going. Things have changed. The reckoning has occurred. Uh, this is post-Weinstein. This is post-Access uh, Hollywood. And uh, there was enough of a critical mass where these things were beating a woman is not so much uh, allowed anymore. And But here's the fun part. There was nothing about it on Fox News. <laughs> and there is still isn't a lot, except there's like two Fox Newses now. I'm finding this really fascinating. There's the Shep Smith, uh, you know, uh, Chris Wallace, and some of these other folks who are actually kind of looking at the broader facts of what's going on and not just saying, let me feed you your bubble. And then there's the bubble, which is obviously Sean Hannity and Janine, Janine Pirro and, uh, and the Fox and Friends. And if you like that stuff, great. If you like your bubble, like I said, help yourself to your bubble. But you might want to consider looking outside of it. So even if it's Fox News, check some of these other ones out. Uh, and one of the shows, in fact, is Outnumbered, uh, which is a show It's at noon, which in, in terms of television is kind of buried in the middle of the day, but that's okay. And it's hosted by three women, uh, I think uh, partially to a, uh, as a reaction to the uh, massive harassment that went on at Fox News. So good. They're learning a little lesson, I hope. And they talk about things, uh, you know, they get outnumbered, meaning a bunch of uh, female hosts and then the one host, for those who aren't familiar with Fox News. But they've been covering things. They even got uh, John Roberts, a former uh, you know mainstream media reporter, and they've been kind of covering what's going on. And although Rob Porter wasn't spoken of much elsewhere, it was on uh, the, uh, the Outnumbered show, which is pretty cool. It was a picture of her with a black eye that really set in motion uh, all of what happened here in the last 24 hours. Uh, Colby told me that she was on vacation in Florence, Italy, uh, with Rob Porter, that they had a fight in their hotel room and that Porter punched her in the eye. She was quite definitive and detailed in her recollection of the story when talking to me, though the White House, reading a statement from Porter yesterday, told quite a different story. Listen here. These outrageous allegations are simply false. I took the photos given to the media nearly 15 years ago, and the reality behind them is nowhere close to what is being described. I've been transparent and truthful about these vile claims, but I will not further engage publicly with a coordinated smear campaign. So I asked Colby Holderness about that. She told me that, uh, that Porter did indeed take the very first photograph of her, uh, the one with the puffy eye that you saw a couple of seconds ago, but that she asked him to take that photograph so that she would have evidence if it ever happened again. Uh, the photos of her with the blackened and bruised eye, she took herself. So, you know, you got a he said, she said thing a little bit with some evidence. Uh, kind of nasty. But look at the difference. I was pl- I was pleased to see this on Fox News. John Roberts, again, a longtime reputed reporter, uh, talking about letting you, he truly was, letting you decide. You know, unfair and unbal- fair and balanced, right? It was, he gave, he said it was a definitive, he tell- compared the stories of how the White House just denied it as false, whereas the ex-wives gave lots and lots of details. Big difference there, right? 
And so, and then they went on and they covered some of the, the John Kelly reactions. Suddenly, it's weird. On some of the right wing pages, you'll notice they refer to him as President Kelly, uh, which is kind of funny because he's not funny, funny, not funny, like a coup, not funny, uh, because he makes a lot of decisions without Donald Trump. And uh, and that's just the, the reality of the circumstance. But anyway, he's gotten a lot of press, you know, for his reaction to the Gold Star mom, you know, a while back, and and the uh, and the uh, the congresswoman that, that responded to it. But here's how it goes with the John Roberts thing. Uh, sources tell Fox News that a small group of individuals here at the White House knew about at least some of the allegations yes. uh, for a period of a number of months. At not least sure exactly how long at this point. Chief of Staff John Kelly was a fierce defender of Porter in a statement that was released earlier this week. Uh, it's a statement actually that Hope Hicks helped him craft. Kelly said, quote, Rob Porter is a man of true integrity and honor, and I can't say enough good things about him. He is a friend, a confidant, and a trusted professional. I am proud to serve alongside of him. However, late yesterday, after these photos of Colby Holderness with a black eye surfaced, Kelly released a statement that was strikingly different in its tone, saying, quote, I was shocked by the new allegations released today against Rob Porter. There is no place for domestic violence in our society. I stand by my previous comments of the Rob Porter that I have come to know since becoming chief of staff and believe every individual deserves the right to defend their reputation. I accepted his resignation earlier today and will ensure a swift and orderly transition. Now, see, there isn't a difference. That's uh, I got to say, that's impressive. That is a man who uh, worked with Rob Porter. And this is a good example of, of a lesson for all of us when it comes to the Me Too, the reckoning, how we do with something like spousal abuse is that, you know, there was rumors of it. John Kelly wanted to believe in his friend, Rob Porter, who's in his right hand man, who's just kicking butt for him in his job because people can be really, really good at their job and then go home and beat their spouses. These are separate issues, right? So he would thought it was good. And then Bob Rob Porter says, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Now, of course, their whole thing is why isn't there a security clearance? The security clearance was held up for Rob Porter because the ex-wives went to the FBI and said he's beating us. And then they, the FBI, of course, is concerned that the compromise, as the Russians would say, you might be compromised by the, the, these folks that are um, uh, have, have evidence or ways to ruin their life. If you've got an ex-wife that can destroy your political career and you have access to classified or sensitive intelligence information in some way, you could be compromised. Is that going to happen? Is the wife going to compromise? No. But this is the thing where FBI has to be careful. Anyway, John Kelly believed in him. And then this pictures come out, more information comes out, and John Kelly evolves. This is what politicians are supposed to do. This is what leaders are supposed to do, is to say, okay, uh, I still think he's a great guy when I worked with him. I still think what he did was good when he was on the job, but this is disgraceful and it disqualifies him and he has to leave and I took his resignation. Boom! That's it. It's clean. It's easy. And it was good to see it on Fox News. You're not seeing it on Sean Hannity. You're not seeing it on Janine Pirro. They're just ignoring it. And that's something, like I say, you you probably want to know the both parts of that picture if you care. So, all right. Uh, We're coming up here. I want to get to a couple more huge stories. Uh, The reaction to a proposed military parade for Donald. Uh, And we'll do a little rip and read from the right and the mainstream media. And a new kind of filibuster performed by a 77-year-old politician who's been accused of being too old to be a leader in Congress. And yet uh, broke a record on standing and talking when we all come back here to Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics, the independent state of mind where we look at this gorgeous country in all her complicated glory and love her exactly the way she is. I'm Jeff Stein, Juan Velasquez, producing the show. Thank you for listening. Check us out on Facebook. You can also just uh, look at me at Jeff's world, jeffs-world.com. 
Uh, that's where you can find all the other things that I do. If you go, hey, this guy's talking pretty cool stuff about politics. Does he actually have like a real life? Uh, yes, he does. Uh, this is my real life. Uh, <laughs> it's all real life, right? Everything is real. Uh, and in fact, apparently giant military parades are free. One more tease, by the way. I got coming up a, a clip from our presidential past, uh, which will blow you away. Uh, both Democrats and Republicans are going to be blown away by this. But um, the military parade, you probably saw this. Donald Trump wants military parade. And, you know, this is classic narcissism. I mean, you just judge it like that. But again, um, why do you need a military parade? If you love Donald Trump, you got to say to yourself, okay, if you want to justify it and say, you know, it's good for the military. And and he could probably get away with it if he said, I want a giant 4th of July parade. You know, that might because because what it got really inspired him was, was, was when he went to visit uh, Emmanuel Macron, you know, the president of France. And it was near or on Bastille Day, which is obviously a national holiday of their independence and such. So... And they uh, they wanted to. He, he saw this military parade, and there's one of the few countries that does it as a traditional annual thing. And he goes, "Oh my God, I want one! I want a military parade!" And, you know, and I don't I don't blame him for wanting to stand there while a bunch of troops go by and salute him and stuff. I mean, it's way more narcissism and attention than I would want, but I could see how people would enjoy that. But it resulted in a, quite a backlash. This is one of these moments. Where a backrash from backrash backrash from left and right, but we're gonna let Trevor Noah handle this. America doesn't need a big parade to convince the world that it has a military. Trust me, the world knows America has a military. <laughs> right. It's in their countries right now. <laughs> like, if you, <laughs> you right. And although Trump is really excited about uh, getting to play with the army like they're his G.I. Joes, uh, luckily, most people are adults. I say that it's a fantastic waste Democrat. of money to amuse the president. It's kind of cheesy, and I think shows weakness, quite frankly. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We've got to also be cautious on how we do spending. We have a Napoleon in the making here. I don't know. It seems like a waste of money. Damn. What? You know it's bad when even Fox News thinks this is a waste of money. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, you can't spend that much on a parade. You need to save it for sexual harassment settlements. Come on! <laughs> At Fox News, nice. But Ouch. the reason the reason a lot of people are against this parade is not just because of the waste of time and money. It's because, France aside, military parades have come to be associated with authoritarian regimes like North Korea, the Soviet Union, and China. And now look, a military parade on its own doesn't mean that Trump is gonna be a dictator. Right. But it's when you look at everything else that your spidey sense starts to tingle. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, like firing the FBI director who was investigating his campaign, discrediting the electoral process by claiming voter fraud. And he just this week joked that not clapping for him is treason. Yeah. I mean, he even gave top government jobs to his own kids. Right? And I mean, sure, those are his smartest kids, but who's their competition? <laughs> you know? And let's be honest, none of this took us by surprise. The whole time Trump was running for president, he couldn't stop talking about how much he admires strongmen around the world. Saddam Hussein, you know what he did well? He killed terrorists. He did that so good. I think I'd get very, along very well with Vladimir Putin. On the phone with Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte, President Trump says, quote, I just wanted to congratulate you because I am hearing of the unbelievable job on the drug problem. What do you make of the North Korean leader? Obviously, he's a pretty smart cookie. Oh, that's one way to describe Kim Jong-un, smart cookie. Right. Trump is so thirsty. Like, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he's on all these dictators' Instagrams just commenting on every pic. Great photo, follow back. 
<laughs> nice abs, like for like. Come on, sexy missile, follow back. <laughs> so obviously he's playing with the narcissism as well. Because why else do you need a real big military parade? But this one has been one of those moments where left to right, everybody gets it. It's not cool to have a military parade. And you say, well, what's going to happen next? Well, General Mad Dog Mattis, the defense secretary, secretary of defense, is putting together the budget. And I wouldn't be surprised if he just kind of just is really going along with it. Like he sat down with Donald Trump and Trump said, I want a bunch of free. I want military weapons. And he goes, well, how many do you like? Tw- uh, tanks. I want tanks. How about 20, 30 tanks? Sure. 30 tanks. 30 tanks would be great. And and just keep inflating. You want some missiles to go by? Yeah, missiles. Let's go by. Uh, we want an F-35 flyby? Yeah, give me an F-35 flyby. And so with and then Mad Dog, which is kind of so weird to describe a cabinet member named Mad Dog. But anyway, um, Mad Dog Mattis is going back to the Pentagon to do the numbers. And so he probably says, yeah, throw in an F-35, throw it all in. And then he'll bring back this number, which will be 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars, 50. I don't know who what that it's going to be because a little side note is if you run 70-ton tanks, 140,000-pound tanks down Pennsylvania Avenue, like he hopes, it will actually destroy the road. You have to go through and rebuild the road afterwards, which will be a few million or something or several hundred thousand. I don't know how much it costs to build a road. I apologize for not knowing that. But that's going to be money, too. And that just that compared to spending the money on veterans' benefits, on uh, suicide prevention for veterans, PTSD treatments, uh, you know, health care, uh, how about uh, college benefits for first? I mean, anything. Take that money because they're going to take the money out of the out of the military budget and put it towards this parade. And you say, well, they just they're putting a budget together right now, which is going to jack up the military budget. Great, it can afford a parade. Is that what we want? We even had here's an example. Here's John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, senator over in Louisiana. They were recently elected about a couple cycles ago uh, on the military parade. He'll set it all. Confidence is silent. Insecurities allowed when, when you're the most powerful nation in all of human history you don't have to show it off and there it is the comedian jeff trevor noah is agreeing with the conservative republican from louisiana on the fact that it, it, the great quote from margaret thatcher you probably heard this one is that being powerful is like being a lady if you have to tell people you are you aren't <laughs> if you have to convince people you're powerful, then you don't believe it. And again, this is the most powerful thing in the nation. We don't like that kind of vanity. And this is so good for us, America. This is so good for us. Because what has been our problem? One of our issues, one of our little moments of pride, one of our seven deadly sins in America is we love to think we're the best ever, ever, ever. Right? We're the best. We're just awesome. We're super cool. Right? Nobody's better. And there's a lot of truth about that. Uh, but there's also, if you don't recognize where you're not number one, you won't learn. And so doing an exercise like this is, are we going to pretend to be number one? Or are we going to, as FDR would say, speak softly and carry a big stick? We've got the biggest stick on the planet. What is it, the next 25 militaries aren't as big as ours uh, in defense spending as we do? So we got this. And you know what? Let them do the budget. Let it be debated. And you will see the unity. We are unified on this. We appreciate, we all, left to right, appreciate the military, but we don't appreciate vanity. We ain't too big on that one. It doesn't work out for us. So, um, okay. So when we come back, uh, I want to talk about the 77-year-old politician 
who is uh, did a filibuster of sorts, but in the House and why and what the her constituents, I give it away, can, can, can expect from that action, as well as a clip from presidential history, which will make Democrats and Republicans surprised about where we've come on the topic of immigration when we return to possibility politics. This is the final segment of Possibility Politics, the place where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Some news broke in the middle of this, so you'll get an idea of when I tracked this. Uh, the Dow Jones has dropped another 1,000 points again. It did earlier, a few days ago, and it dropped. It's, it's right now currently down 1,000 points. And, you know, this is fine. It was a course correction. I'm not going to blame the president on that. And actually, I can't really blame Donald Trump too much on that, only because, uh, I mean, they do this based on futures. That's why the market moves. It's based on the future. So you can decide whether who's who's to blame for that. Uh, there's a lot involved, and, and, and presidents, you know, often get blamed for stock markets and gas prices. And it's not always uh, exactly what uh, you'd expect that they're responsible for. But... Funny little side note, just because it amuses me, and I find this this whole uh, thing. He has there's a tweet for everything for Obama for Trump. You know, before he was president, he constantly tweeted, uh, and that's what he wanted. He didn't want to be president. If you read Michael Wolff's book and you read the accounts of of those who have worked in the White House, and he didn't want to be president. He just wanted to be famous and then have this network that he could attack uh, Hillary Clinton and other politicians for sucking. And he was going to be a professional personality agitator and make tons of money and be really well-loved by people who like to hate. And that's cool. That's a position. If it makes you happy, you can enjoy that. But but there's a tweet for everything he did. For instance, when the government shut down, they dug out the tweet from when the uh, when Ted Cruz and company were shutting down the government in 2013 under Democrats. And Donald Trump said, if there's a government shutdown, the blame falls entirely on the president. Well... There was a government shutdown for three days or maybe one in a couple days here. So does it fall on the president, Mr. President? And now that you're the president. And the second one is about the market. He says, if a market drops a thousand points in a day, that president should be shot out of a cannon and removed from the White House. Well, there you go. <laughs> Donald Trump apparently has got to go out and get in his cannon because he promised that was what was going to happen. We'll see if the market recovers. That's just what I did. I glanced at during the break at the at the news headlines. All right, back to a couple things that are really interesting that are going on. The Democrats are trying to do something to save the DACA recipients, which, again, is an 87 percent approved thing uh, amongst amongst people. And I'm going to give you a little clip here in a minute that's going to make you understand why 87 plus percent of the nation feels like the children of immigrants shouldn't be punished, especially when they've signed up for a program which did made them do background checks, make sure they were employed or in the military and make sure they were criminal free and, and, and learning and had learned English, which they had anyway. Uh, but this is the kind of things that that DACA does. And Nancy Pelosi, 77-year-old Nancy Pelosi, we're, we're, and if you don't watch the left-leaning uh, pages, you won't know that uh, the, the, the progressive group, the burners in particular, sometimes they like to attack Nancy Pelosi as being too old and, and too out of touch and, and not a fit uh, for the office of being the leader, the minority leader in the House. Well, she just broke a talking record that was last held in 1909. She broke it by two and a half hours. She did. She spoke more than eight hours on the floor of the House uninterrupted. She didn't yield for a question. She refused to yield for a question. And she spent the whole time first talking about immigration and, and DACA recipients and then spent the eight hours almost entirely reading one story after the other about immigrants, including one named Elon Musk, who you name. What's that name? I know that name. SpaceX, Tesla. 
He just fired. Uh, they just fired a rocket. They're trying to make a returnable rocket. You, you can look in the news and you see what I'm talking about. And it was very successful, not entirely successful. And he was the first one to say it had a 50-50 chance. But failure is how you, you did. Try, struggle, fail, fix, learn, right? That's how you do it. Elon Musk is an immigrant. He was not born in America. And he's one of our greatest assets. And he's one of our greatest Americans. And he will never not be an American. He loves being an American. He's everything we'd hope. Where is he from? South Africa. Trippy, huh? Right? You didn't think that. You didn't know that. You thought, oh, this is just one of our guys. No, he is one of our guys. You're absolutely right. <laughs> That's how immigration works. People come and they contribute because they want to be here. You want people that want to be here. I- I'm Think about that. I mean, if you were having a, a poker game with your friends, don't you want people that want to be there? <laughs> Especially the ones that have money and are easy to cheat. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but you do. This is And so Nancy Pelosi, in her four-inch high heels... Stood there for eight hours, never going to the bathroom, never sitting down, because you can't do either, and never yielding to a question. And there's never been a filibuster in the house. It's, there is no actual procedure for it. And if they, tr- I would imagine, this would be interesting, because if, if the Democrats try to do it again, they might try to stop her or him or whoever might do it. But for the moment, they would kind of let it happen, and she never yielded. And she spoke about immigration. And I say that not to exalt her or say she's great or not. And if you are against what you, the DACA immigrants or, or immigration, then okay. But you want to appreciate being for something, I think. And and if you're a, a person who doesn't like that, who's been frustrated by the Dems on on um, DACA and that they're not shutting down the government in order to protect DACA recipients, let me give you a little perspective on that one, okay? First of all, Obama put in DACA, as you know, and because they he had control, as long as he had control of the presidency, he was able to keep it alive. Now, you may have noticed that the Democrats don't control any of the branches of the, of the government except, well, they're not even really the, the Supreme Court, but any of the branches of the government. And you may have other reasons to hate Democrats, uh, but when it comes to this one, uh, Nancy Pelosi standing on the floor like that, there's not a whole lot more that Democrats can do. The only other option is to try in the Senate to shut down the government, which is, as you may recall, if you were flipping your own hypocrisy, if you were a liberal, how angry as a liberal were you when the Dem- when the Republicans kept shutting down the government because they couldn't end Obamacare? Uh, so, and it bothered you then. Well, you know, do you want the Democrats shutting down the government to save DACA recipients? I say yes, right? Well, yeah, yeah, you probably should. But you know what? You might be have to do due process because there's only so much shutting down they can do. The Republicans don't have to obey the filibuster rules. They don't have to listen to the Democrats. They can get it through. So it becomes a bit of a gambit where they really, the Democrats cannot stop the Republicans from blocking DACA if they want to. They just they, there's not they don't have the constitutional power to do so. The Republicans have full and total control and until you vote till somebody votes them out with a new group that would, this is what you're going to have to live with. So before you hate the Dems, recognize they're doing what they can before you and and, and if you love the Republicans, well, uh, they're doing what they can, I suppose, but I want to ask you deeply about your wall, Trump supporters. Why do you want a wall? Again, is it for love and kindness and forgiveness? Or is it because you're scared of immigrants? And if you're scared of immigrants, I would suggest you look at that because Elon Musk and all these other folks, uh, you probably know a lot of immigrants. You probably work with immigrants. You probably have interacted with a lot and and think they're great. But in the abstract of, of this terrifying thought of a gang member running across the border and, and killing people, I get why that's scary. But law enforcement's on it. Ask Border Patrol. They don't want a wall. 
They don't want this stuff. They, they, I mean, if you ask Border Patrol, sure, we'll take more cops, we'll take more surveillance, we'll take more drones, we'll take more electronic signals, uh, more ways. But they really, you know, most bureaucrats would say, give us more resources to process immigrants, to figure out how who we can get in, how we can get them in, how we can, you know, make sure that they are adjudicated. If you want to extend the DACA idea of, of you know, of, of, of criminal background checks periodically and such, you know, this is be things that they might be more amenable to rather than just a big giant wall that's going to cost a lot of money, kind of like a big giant parade that's going to cost a lot of money and isn't really going to change the dynamic much. It's 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 ego. Ask yourself, it's ego. I'm just saying, you know, it feels like ego to me. If it feels like love to you, if you can tell me, get on my Facebook page. If you can tell me how building a wall is love and forgiveness and kindness, I am open to that argument. <laughs> I'm very open to that. So, um, okay. There's about a bunch of other things going on in the news. You know, again, shut down things that are nearing uh, disaster. Uh, the Fox News is all over another Uranium One piece. I'm watching it going, I don't see anything there. There, I don't see any crimes there, but they're trying to connect it to Hillary because that's very important uh, to destroy Hillary. And I get that, too. If you're a Trump person, the thought and, and, you're, and you don't want to admit that he's flawed, uh, then believing that Hillary is worse and way flawed, more flawed and more criminal, it, it, it feels good. That feels a lot better than acknowledging that uh, your guy you might have made a mistake in voting. But here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, you didn't make a mistake in the sense that what you probably voted for. Have you voted for racist reasons for Donald Trump? If you voted because you hate immigrants and you want to see him suffer, that might not be a good reason. But if you voted for Donald Trump because you wanted, again, infrastructure, health care for everybody, uh, better wages, helping the poor and middle class, helping the opioid crisis, which, by the way, every one of those things was promised by Hillary Clinton as well, as well as Bernie Sanders. Um, if you wanted those things, then I get why you voted for them. And so I don't blame you for your vote. You shouldn't blame yourself for your vote, but you also shouldn't have a pride so high that you can't recognize, just like Hillary supporters or just like Bernie supporters, you can't recognize the the faults of, I mean, here, let's just, because we're criticizing, here's my criticism of Bernie Sanders. Uh, I think he has all these great populist ideas, all the same ones we talked about a minute ago, healthcare, uh, income equality, social equality. But he called out and made Wall Street a war on Wall Street. He very blanketedly said that Wall Street was greedy, that they were all greedy. And I feel when you put that people in a, in a corner like that, if you'd have changed it, if he'd have pivot, and he did sometimes, but if he more pervasively said the structure of Wall Street fosters greed, we need to make it structured so that it fosters, has a fiduciary, fiduciary responsibility to the citizens and the people who are investing. You know, if you put it that way, instead of just it's a bunch of greed and they're out to get you and they're bad people. So everybody has their things and you want to recognize that. All right. And at the same time, say why you voted for them, because they were very inspiring reasons. Speaking of voting for presidents, one last thing I want to roll out here. This is a clip. It's a little, little, little iffy because it's from 1980. Way back 1980, the presidential debate that would eventually elect Ronald Reagan but it was between Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush, which eventually, of course, became his vice president. But this little clip, particularly on immigration, is going to give you a feel, both Democrats, Republicans, you're going to trip on this, of where we have moved and where the Republican Party is and where the Democratic Party is. Now we're going to have some questions from the audience. Yes, my name is David Grossberg, and I'd like to know, do you think the children of illegal aliens should be allowed to attend Texas public schools free? Or do you think that their parents should pay for their education? Who are you addressing that to? I think you're first in this. Uh, George Herbert Walker. You. I said he was. <laughs> Look, I'd like to see something done about the illegal alien problem that would be so sensitive and so understanding about labor needs 
and human needs that that problem wouldn't come up. But today, if those people are here, uh, I would reluctantly say I think they would they would get whatever it is that they're you know what the society is giving to their neighbors. But it has the problem has to be solved. The problem has to be solved because with as we have kind of made illegal some kinds of labor that I'd like to see legal. We're doing two things. We're creating a whole society of really honorable, decent, family-loving people yes. in violation of the law. And secondly, we're exacerbating relations with Mexico. Yes. The, cha the, the answer to your question is much more fundamental than whether they attend Houston schools, it seems to me. I don't want to see a whole, if they're living here, I don't want to see a whole, I think it's six and eight-year-old kids being made, you know, one totally uneducated and made to feel that they're living with outside the law, let's address ourselves to the fundamentals. These are good people, yes. strong people. Part of my family is a Mexican. Strong people. Part of my family is a Mexican. I, that, I think the time has come Reagan. that the United States and our neighbors, particularly our neighbor to the south, should have a better understanding and a better relationship than we've ever had. Yes. And I think that we haven't been sensitive enough to our size and our power. They have a problem of 40 to 50 percent unemployment. Now, this cannot continue without the possibility arising with regard to that other country that we talked about, of Cuba and what it is stirring up, of the possibility of trouble below the border, and we could have a very hostile and strange neighbor on our border. Rather than making them or talking about putting up a fence, <laughs> why don't we work out some recognition of our mutual problems, make it possible for them to come here legally with a work permit, and then while they're working and earning here, they pay taxes here. Yes. And when they go want to go back, they can go back and they can cross and open the border both ways by understanding their problems. I, I swear, I just had a, I think I just had a democracy gasm. I apologize for the vulgarity of that word. But this is what I'm talking about. That is Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush. Uh, and again, I come from a family of Eisenhower Republicans. When I hear that, I go, oh, yeah, I remember when the two parties debated slightly, you know, from, from sensible positions, not just from get them all out, round them all up, put up a wall, don't ever let them in and make Mexico pay for it. I, really? But what happened? If you're a Republican, did, did you not just hear the patriarch, Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush, World War II veteran, veteran, veteran great guy, uh, means well. Yes, he had his problems. Yes, he had his things. They all had their things, right? Again, mixed agendas. But if you can't see the inspiring nature of that and the nuance of the humanity of what he's saying, do you want six or eight-year-old kids feeling outside the law? These were Republicans that were concerned about how it felt and what it conveyed from a moral standing. Instead of supporting Roy Moore at all costs because you need a seat in the Senate, they, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and Ronald Reagan said, no, we need to, these are good, strong people. And if there's high, and, the, and Reagan understood the nuance, if there's high unemployment in Mexico, we need to do something, help something at like that, because otherwise you're going to create a, just a high incentive. And then he still said, what good is a fence? Ronald Reagan did not want a fence or a wall. Do you hear that? I hear that. And I'm not making it to just attack you Trumpers who support it. Tell me why this wall is, 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 is better than what Ronald Reagan and George Bush said, that it is more loving, more kind, more considerate. I don't know. Because you know what? Republicans, you're getting your butts handed to you right now. And maybe that's what's supposed to happen. It seems to be. There have been uh, 39, I think it's 39, yes, 39 uh, special elections in various seats in state and federal government that have occurred since the Trump election. And of those, 
four of those have gone from Democrat to Republican. The other 35 have gone from Republican to Democrat. And interestingly enough, all those 35, almost every one of them, was in seriously popular Trump district. In Missouri, they just had four seats, four races, and one of them went to a Democrat in a, in a, in a district that went for 28 points for Donald Trump. Not like 28 to whatever, meaning 28 points more than Hillary Clinton got, and it just elected a Democrat. This is the wave that's happening, and it's not because Republicans are bad people. I'm not saying you're condemned if you're a Republican. In fact, I'm saying if you're a Republican like my family that I come from, remember what you mean, what you believed in. Remember that your principles and your morality used to define who you are, not your tribe or your party or whether or not you won or whether or not you found criminal charges on the other the candidate who was contesting you. Right. It's not about putting locking up your opponents. It's about standing in the truth of your morality. So please try that. Reach out for that a little bit. And and we might be able to get back to this truth, which is there is way more that unites us than divides us. Right. And this is being proven. We all want, most of us want the same things and we will have them regardless of the narcissism of the politicians that are between us and them. So thank you for listening. It is such a pleasure to talk to you about this. You can see the excitement in my voice and we'll see you again next time. This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. 